ask you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and then 15 through 27. Now Jericho was closed up tightly because of the Israelites. No one went out or came in. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have given Jericho and its king into your power, along with its mighty warriors. Circle the city with all the soldiers going around the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets made from ram's horns in front of the chest. On the seventh day, circle the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Have them blow a long blast on the ram's horn. As soon as you hear that trumpet blast, have all the people shout out a loud war cry. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will rise up attacking straight ahead. On the seventh day, they got up at dawn. They circled the city in this way seven times. It was only on that day that they circled the city seven times. The seventh time the priest blew the trumpets. Then Joshua said to the people, Shout, because the Lord has given you the city. The city and everything in it is to be utterly wiped out is something reserved for the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, is to stay alive along with everyone in her house. This is because she hid the messengers we sent. But you keep away from the things set aside for God so that you don't desire and take some of the things reserved. That would turn the camp of Israel into a thing doomed to be utterly wiped out and bring calamity on it. All silver and gold along with bronze and iron equipment are holy to the Lord. They must go to the Lord's treasury. Then the people shouted. They blew the trumpets. As soon as the people heard the trumpet blast, they shouted a loud war cry. Then the wall collapsed. The people went up against the city, attacking straight ahead. They captured the city. Without mercy, they wiped out everything in the city as something reserved for God, man and woman, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua spoke to the two men who had scouted out the land. Go to the prostitute's house. Bring out the woman from there along with everyone related to her exactly as you pledged to her. So the young man who had been spies went and brought Rahab out along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and everyone related to her. They brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside Israel's camp. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold along with the bronze and iron equipment into the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua let Rahab the prostitute live, her family, and everyone related to her. So her family still lives among Israel today because she hid the spies whom Joshua had sent to scout out Jericho. At that time, Joshua made this decree. Anyone who starts to rebuild this city of Jericho will be cursed before the Lord. Laying its foundations will cost them their oldest child. Setting up its gates will cost them their youngest child. The Lord was with Joshua. News about him spread throughout the land. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. I want to begin this morning by uh, just taking a moment to thank everyone for the many ways that you all showed your appreciation to our family last Sunday. First, uh, getting to preach in a Cal Ripken jersey was kind of fun. I've never done that before. And so casual Sunday is always fun. Second, our family had a very nice uh, afternoon last Sunday just reading your notes and cards of appreciation that were written to us. And so thank you. Um, thank you, Jennifer Williams, SPRC members, for what you did. Uh, I know I've said it before, but our family is so blessed to be a part of this church this community, and each of your lives, and so thank you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be spending a few minutes to look at the story of Joshua, Joshua 
As you all saw from our children's time and then also from our scripture, as you all know, the city of Jericho is a fortified city or was a fortified city in the land of Canaan in Israel. And so the story that we're looking at, it's titled the Battle of Jericho, although as we're going to see, it's in a way a different type of battle and story that we're reading about. So we're going to take a minute to watch the movie. It's a pretty short one today. And then we'll begin to look at this morning's scripture. Israel came closer to their promised land. As they camped overlooking the fertile valley of their soon-to-be home, God showed them the strong city of Jericho. It was a fortified city with big, thick walls that prevented enemy soldiers from capturing it. For Israel to take possession of the land, this city had to be destroyed. Once again, God raised up a strong and courageous leader named Joshua. God told him to take charge of the people of Israel and lead them into the promised land. Joshua secretly sent two spies to scout out the land and the city. They were to report back to him. This would give him great information on which he could plan their attack. God told Joshua to put the armed men in front, followed by the priests blowing their trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. At the back, another guard of soldiers were to stand. All these people were then to march around Jericho once a day for six days. The trumpets would blow, but the people were not allowed to make any noise, not even a word. Then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times and on Joshua's signal, shout as loud as they could. On the morning of the seventh day, Joshua, the army, the priests, and the people did exactly as the Lord commanded. On their seventh circle around the city, Joshua gave the signal and the people erupted in shouts. Their yelling was met with a huge rumble as the city walls of Jericho began to break apart and tumble down. They burned the city to the ground, but kept all the gold and silver and placed it into the treasury of the Lord. They did, however, spare the lives of Rahab and her family since Rahab helped the Israelite spies when they came to scout out the city. Once again, God gave the Israelites victory. A curse was placed on the city, and to this day, the walls of Jericho have never been rebuilt. So I think it's easy for us to visualize this biblical story in Joshua 6 as it begins by telling us about a fortified city of Jericho and and with gates closed, soldiers manning the walls, the scripture tells us that people are not coming in or out. And so the people of Israel, as we've seen, have crossed the River Jordan and they're now camping in the land of Canaan that God had promised them, waiting for direction to tell them what was next. And so the direction came to the leader of the Israelites, just like we saw when the people of Israel wandered through the, Mo the wilderness, God went and spoke to Moses. And so now that Moses is gone and Moses has appointed Joshua to be his successor, Joshua is now the one that God speaks to when God says, I've given to in your hand the city of Jericho and the king and all that are in the city. And then God went and told Joshua what I think we can find is probably one of the most perplexing, if not most ridiculous-sounding plans for battle in all of history. Assemble, place the Ark of the Covenant in the front of the people with seven priests holding trumpets, and walk around the city in a muted parade. 
I appreciated in the children's time, Roselle saying, you know, they're walking in a line not being able to talk at all. Because we know that's pretty much impossible, right? Well, depending what group you're in. And so they were to do that for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they were to walk seven times around the city. And on the seventh lap, there was to be this loud blast of trumpets. And then the people were to give a great shout. And then at their cry, the battle was to be taken up. But the scripture tells us it was to be taken up by the Lord. See, this isn't a city that they're marching against that's unprepared. This is a city that has known that the people of Israel have been coming. They've known of their wandering in the wilderness. They have known of them conquering other nations and and going against other people. They've stocked their homes. They've stocked their city. They're ready for a siege. And so you can picture with me, if you would think about it, the people in Jericho as they see the Israelites coming, saying on the first day, here they come as they all run and, and get in their positions. And then they watch them go around the city, and then return to their camp. The next day, the same same thing happens as the Israelites assemble and the parade begins and the watchmen on the walls cry out for their, their comrades in arms, for their fellow soldiers and defenders to come and join them on the walls. And then they watch Israel go around and this happened for six days. See, but I also think of this part of the story and I think, what were the Israelites thinking? Have you ever been told to do something in a repetition that has no meaning, or at least you can't see the meaning for it at the time you're doing it? See, I can hear the Israelites. And the scripture tells us that they were quiet, that they weren't speaking while they were walking around the city. But my guess is when they got back to the camp after day one and two and three, and then probably really four, five, and six, that some of them were sitting there and wondering amongst themselves, saying, what is going on? I think this is similar to, or could quite likely be similar to, when they were wandering in the desert and their forefathers got angry at Moses and talked to Moses saying, why have you brought us out here into the wilderness so that we would die of hunger and starvation and thirst? I think it's notable the scripture doesn't tell us that they did that, but it really makes me wonder. And so on the seventh day, we read that the Israelites begin their march like they've done in the previous six days. And so as they complete their first lap, I imagine the people of Jericho who are manning the walls and standing up there are thinking to themselves, oh, there's lap one. All right, now they're going to go back to camp. And then they turn and they continue a lap. And then they do it again and again until six times they've done it. And then the seventh lap hits. And the scripture tells us that the priest blew the trumpets and the people let out a tremendous shout and the walls fell down flat. Now see, there's something in this story, the story of Jericho, that if you're going and you're trying to find archaeological evidence for this story, there's been two historical digs uh, in the land of Jericho around the ancient city and, and they found a watchtower from from. Off the top of my head, I'm not going to say it because I'll probably say it wrong, but it's really old. But the thing is, is they haven't linked it yet to the time of Joshua. 
And so if you're looking and if you're someone who's wanting to say the story of Jericho happened in the form of XYZ because the archaeology supports it, well, we're not there yet. But there have been two digs in this ancient city. The two digs disagree to the date, although some of the things I've read that the first dig that was in the 30s is probably more accurate because of the way they excavated the latter dig didn't have everything the way they'd done it, simply because the process had changed. But the scriptures tell us that the walls fell flat. And I don't know about you, but when I think of something that, that we take down to flat versus something that God takes down to flat, I think there's a whole different degree of what our idea of something becoming flat is. Isn't there? is that God can and do things beyond our comprehension. God can and does do things beyond our understanding or beyond our idea of what it means for things to be factually proven. Because our faith is just that. It's faith. And so our faith is not dependent on the shovel of what someone is doing in an ancient land at a dig site, is it? Our faith is dependent on what God is doing in our hearts and what God did through the cross in Jesus Christ and what God did through the tomb and rolling, around, uh, rolling away the stone and Jesus coming forth. And so there's something when I look at this story that I think we can look at in the way that God calls us to act on our faith in our lives. Even when we look at the things that, that we are facing and they seem impossible or even beyond what you and I can imagine. And this is the most different kind of battle that we can think of. Because when we think of battle, don't you think of, of siege engines and of people coming with ladders and of masses of troops preparing to scale a wall and then defenders on the walls preparing to, to do whatever they can to repel the invaders. But see, this battle is different because it's a battle that belongs to God. And so what God did not equip the Israelites with in order to have them topple the walls, he equipped them with faith. Not swords or shields or slings or any of the other things that would take to have the walls fall down. But he equipped them with faith. In faith that they were to walk around the city, in faith that they would believe that God would, would deliver what he was promising to do. In faith they were to act. And in their action, what that meant is each and every day they had to take the first step in faith. Believing that what they were doing was of God and would be of God, even as they themselves could not anticipate or did not believe what the resulting outcome was going to be. See, they had to take that first step. And so as I think of this story, of this time in which the people of Israel entered the land of, of Canaan and, and came to the city of Jericho, the thing that sticks with me today as I think about it, because it's a good story, but the thing that sticks to me is the thing that might be the thing that's easiest for us to overlook. And that's that everything we do in faith takes a first step. We can't call on God 
to be with us and to guide us if we aren't willing to take that first step into what we believe he wants us to do or where he believes or where we believe that he needs us to be. In our personal lives, we can't, you know, ask God for guidance if we're not willing to take that first step into either changing what it is that we need changed or, or growing or stepping forward in faith into what that thing is that we believe God needs us to do next. Friends, think of the times in your lives when you believe that God has been there and God has been present. My guess is you can look and God didn't do or, or work in your life when you were passively waiting for things to happen. My guess is, is that whenever you can look back and think of how and when God worked, it was because we were willing, you were willing, to take that first step in faith. And see, there's a risk in that, isn't there? There's a risk that we might, might think that what's happening we just is going to happen or, or we want it to happen. And we take that step in faith hoping that, that we're stepping in the right direction. And sometimes it works and sometimes, well, God says, no, I really need you to do this. But see, we can't even hear that voice if we're not willing to step forward in faith the first time. For whatever it is he needs us to do, for whatever it is that he needs us to go, for wherever it is that he needs us to be. Even if it means walking around a city six times. Because don't you know that scenery got old? But because Israel stepped forward in faith, God was there with them. And so for us in our lives, is we have to be willing to do that. To be willing to take that first step. To do the things that we know need to be done, even of whether or not they're even going to happen. See, the first step is yours. The first step is mine. And the first step is a step that you and I take in faith.